How's everybody doing? All right, let me ask that again. Uh, For those who are still checking in with yourself, how's everybody doing? All right, yes, it is good. It is good. Um, We're going to go straight to Scripture. We're going to continue in our series in Romans, or we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 8 to 15. It says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least, at last, succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, and both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the absolute gift that it is to worship you, to gather in community under your lordship. And we thank you for your presence that's here with us right now. We pray you'd speak to us from your word Open your scriptures to us. Help us to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus? Open our hearts to see him in a new and fresh way. We thank you, Father, for the greatness of your love. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you were here with us last week, uh, but if you weren't, you can go to our website and listen in to the sermon so you can get context as to where we've been thus far as we continue to study the book of Romans. Uh, it's been said that the book of Romans is kind of like the cliff notes of the entire Bible in that it's a very dense book. And so it's going to take some work to, to study it, to understand it. But as a result of us doing this work, we'll walk away with a really amazing grasp of all of the scriptures. We'll understand the Bible in a more thorough way by diving into this book. And last week, we talked about a few things. We talked about these ideas of the gospel of God, the good news of God, that Christianity is not just truths, ideas. It's a retelling, a reproclaiming of some significant events that we call good news Um, God defeating his enemies, and we discovered scripturally that we are part of the enemies, that the bad news of the gospel is that we often resist God. We replace him with other things. We substitute the creator with creation. Um, We don't seek after God, and yet he has come to rescue us, to redeem us, and we wrestled with these ideas of the obedience of faith and that Jesus calls us to not just trust in his sufficiency, but also to obey him. So if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen so you can journey with us. Today we're going to dive into this text, and as we do so, 
I want to ask, how many people drive often in New York City? If you could raise your hand. Not everybody does. Some of you are fortunate to not have to deal with the car, depending on perspective. Some of you are like, oh, I would love a car. And then you get a car and you're like, I don't know, I wish I could do without this thing. Um, if you drive enough in New York City, then you might be familiar with the sentiment behind this statement from one of the greatest TV shows ever, Seinfeld. And so, if you know uh, Seinfeld, if you're a New Yorker, you've probably watched some of these episodes and they resonate. There's this one episode where the phrase is, nobody beats the Van Wick. It's undefeated. I don't know if you've seen that episode, but essentially everybody thinks that they could beat the Van Wick. It's like, I'm on my way to the airport, all that's between me and the airport is the Van Wick. Um, nobody beats the Van Wick. One day, I thought I was going to beat the Van Wick. I'm on my way home. And if you don't know, I live in the Rockaways. That's very close to Europe. Um, and so, <laughs> pretty far. And so, I, I have to go through these awful pockets of traffic um, but I do, I endure it. I love it. I feel the grace for it. Don't feel bad for me. Um, and so I'm on my way home, and all of a sudden, the Van Wick comes to a screeching halt. I'm just like, oh, this is where hope comes to die. You know, like, <laughs> none of us are going to make it out of this. And then all of a sudden, GPS says, exit. I was like, what? Could it be? Is there a way around the Van Wick? And so I exit out, and all of a sudden, I'm moving. And all these people with obviously bad data plans are, are, in, are there. They're stuck. They don't know what I know. And I'm moving, and they're stuck. I'm like, I am beating the Van Wick. And then all of a sudden, it puts me back on the Van Wick. I was like, <laughs> what a cruel joke. This is, it's like, nobody beats it. You can't, there's no way you can get around it, obviate it, circumvent it. You can't go underwater. You can't fly above it. You have to go through it. It's just there. And, I, and, and it's going to be there because apparently it will never be fully repaired. Have you noticed that? <laughs> People who work on the Van Wick one of their main qualifying things on their resume is, I don't complete things. Because this thing is never done, never going to be finished. And so this idea of something that you can't go around, that you have to go through, that you can't figure out a way to circumvent it, is actually a pretty profound idea. And it's something that Paul reminds us when he says this. First... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Could you say those words with me? Through Jesus Christ. If you could imagine with me, the Christian faith is actually summed up pretty powerfully in those words. Through Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus, to be people that declare him as Lord over our lives, it means that we are people that have come to the firm, joyous realization that there is no life apart from going through Jesus, living through Jesus, 
that to circumvent it, to try to work around it, to live apart from him is actually no life at all. That the most flourishing existence we could have is not one where we've figured out how to carry life on our own, in our own terms, in our own way, circumventing Jesus, going, living apart from him, going around him. But actually, it's one where you and I joyously settle into the reality that life is lived at its most flourishing level when we live through Jesus, empowered by him, with him, under his lordship. And why this is significant for us to really wrestle with with humility, and you're going to understand why I mean with humility in a moment, you and I have to settle on something that Romans really highlights powerfully throughout the book, and that is that Jesus is quite unique. That the gospel is not just good news among other good news, that it's the good news. It's the good news that we need. And so it, it's why we have to carry that with humility is because we recognize that there's other faiths in this world and they all have aspects of beauty and truth and, and they bring goodness to the world and we respect that, but we respect that in a way that doesn't ever tarnish or diminish the uniqueness of the good news that we believe in. And that... That's actually to do so, to believe in Jesus in a way that kind of is like, you know, Jesus is an option among many, or he's like good news among other good news, or almost like, you ever seen someone that gets a compliment and they're uncomfortable with the compliment? They're like, oh, this old thing, you know, no, you know, it, it, when you and I treat the gospel like, oh, you know, it's, yeah, it's nice, it's okay, it's just like that, it, it, it's actually, it shows that we don't get it. That we haven't really firmly grasped that what's unique about our faith is that every other faith can be practiced without the founder. As long as you have the message, as long as you have the tenets, you can actually practice that faith. You could remove the founder, you could even remove the primary prophet, and you could actually functionally practice that faith. The Christian faith. If you remove Jesus, if you try to do it any other way than through Jesus, it crumbles. It's not just a belief system. It's not just something that we acquiesce to. It's actually a life that's uniquely lived through him. So for us, Jesus is not just one of many ways to live. It's the way through which we live. What's striking about this passage is that Paul, he's not just a messenger of this faith, of this new religion at this time. He's actually, first and foremost, a recipient of it. He's been transformed by the message he is preaching. Now, I'm going to date myself, but some of you may be too young to know of these amazing commercials that were embedded in our minds, um, the messaging of it, and it was Hair Club for Men. How many ever remember those commercials? They were awful commercials. When you think about it, it was like so low budget, because um, they knew, it was just like, there's our clientele is men that are desperate for hair, we don't even have to you know, make this commercial great. And so it was very low ball advertising, 
And but the key phrase in the commercial, the hook, the thing that they thought was going to make people say, I'm going to buy it, of course, was the guy who was talking. He says, I'm not just the president. I'm a customer. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, he's he's selling something he bought himself. (laughs) That's a hearty laugh. (laughs) Paul. He's not describing a faith that he hasn't been transformed by himself. He's not telling others to live through Jesus when he has tried to live apart from him. No, he has been arrested by God's love. He was consenting to the murder of many Christians. He threatened Many Christians, so that they would abdicate their faith, deny Jesus at the threat of death. And yet this same Paul, God turns his life around and now he's preaching Jesus. Because he's transformed. But look at the transformation that he's experienced. He says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Paul's transformation was that he went from living life as a king to being transformed to live life as a servant. Now, by king, I don't mean that Paul was an actual king with the kingdom, But essentially, before Paul met Jesus, before he was transformed by the good news of Jesus, he called his own shots. He determined his own way. He determined right and wrong apart from God. He he was his own, the master of his own fate. But he describes the transforming work of Jesus in a powerful way. He says that Jesus has transformed him, that now his life has gone from living on his own terms to actually serving God. The power of that may not hit us immediately in our culture because in our culture, we are constantly affirmed that we should only and always have it our way. A bad day for us means when we're not having it our way. When things aren't going according to what we think should be happening. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and been served by a waiter or waitress and it was like kind of aggressive? Where it's just like, I don't know, did I do something wrong? Or it's like they pour water, but it feels like... I'm a blood, you're a crip, you know, like, it's just like, what's going on? We're going to fight, you know, like, I'm here to eat, I'm a, I'm a tip, I promise you, but it's just like, I don't know, I think we're going to have to fight later. It's like aggressive, and it, and, and it just feels, you want the dinner to be over with. It's just like, let's wrap this up before this escalates. Um, versus, if you've ever gone somewhere, and you get the genuine sense that the people there actually value you. And they want you to have an enjoyable time. They almost want some ease and burden to come off your shoulders. They anticipate what you might need before you ask for it. 
And, and it's just a totally different experience from someone who is unhappy serving to someone who actually feels joy and honor and delight. To serve someone means that you are attentive to what they want. You're at their pleasure. You want to meet their desires, not yours. And one of the ways that you and I can tell if we are living through Jesus, not apart from him, not above him, not without him, is that we find the appetites of our heart, the design of our life shifting from us needing to be king to us settling into our role as I'm your servant. Not my will, but your will be done. You know, C.S. Lewis had a famous quote where he said, there's two kinds of people in this world. The first kind tells God, not my will, but your will be done. The second kind, God tells them, your will be done. What he's trying to get at in this quote is that there are some folks that choose to live life in such a way that say, God, I don't care what your will is. I know what I want, and I am here for you to bless what I want. I have no interest in finding out what you want. I'm not here to serve you. You're here to serve me. And that may sound intense and harsh. It's like, no, that, that's not me. I hope whoever Chris is preaching to today has an open heart. It's not me. This is not for me. That may sound hard to receive, but in reality, at one point or another, if we sit with that long enough, there's probably something that comes up for you that says, yeah, that's right. There were these moments where I wasn't getting my way. God wasn't giving me what I wanted. And I didn't want to serve him. Because ultimately what our hearts want is for God to serve us. Jesus didn't invite us to follow him with the promise of, I'm going to serve you. He invites us to follow him with the invitation that we get to serve him. We know Jesus is transforming us when that's changing inside of us. Where we're not looking God, we're not looking for God to do what we think he should do. We're looking to God to find out what he wants us to do. What does that look like for some of us? That looks like the you learn to not make decisions independently from God. You learn that you have to pray through things. You have to seek his confirmation, his will, his guidance. That you're not looking to, for God to bless your decisions no matter what. You're looking for God to lead your decisions. Paul is saying that he's been transformed into a servant. And this would be good news for anyone, that you and I get to serve God. We're not just serving anyone. We're serving the creator of the universe. There's honor in that. There's prestige in that. There's joy in that. But unfortunately, what should be a joyous transformation for us to say, I don't have to live life as king. I don't have to carry this on my own. I don't have to live as if I'm Lord. I actually get to live recognizing him as king, him as Lord, and I assume the role of servant. This is glorious. He's the creator. I'm not. 
I get to live under his lordship. That should be good news, except that we fight that tooth and nail. We don't want to serve. We want God to serve us. I recently met someone, and it was an, it was, it was an amazing conversation. Um, they landed an incredibly covetous job, a job that a lot of people would want. And so I don't know this person, I'm just getting to know them. And so at first they share, they got this job. I'm like, wow, that's amazing, congrats. And then they said something that both amazed me. First, it made me a little envious, I'm going to be honest. And then it amazed me. This is why it made me envious. They said, in the interview, they told the job, it says, as long as I could write my own job description, I'll say yes to the job. I was just like, please show me your ways. How do, that is wow. Wow. It's like, in other words, say, as long as I get to determine what I do in the job, I'll say yes to it. It was like, whoa, please conduct the master class. I will be there. That's not how I get to live my life. That was amazing to me. It was like, wow. So I went from being amazed and was like a little envious, but then ultimately what struck me, I was just like, man, if there is a phrase that captures our heart's resistance to serving, it's that. God, I'll serve you as long as I got to write the job description. I'll serve you as long as I get to define the conditions. But that's not the serving that Jesus invites us into. When our culture says you should live to serve your desires, Jesus says the greatest way you could live is to serve me. Even when it contradicts your desires. Paul says, I serve God with my spirit in the gospel. But notice something else. There's, the good news of Jesus transforms us from kings to servants. We recognize our true place of thriving and flourishing is not being Lord, but serving the Lord. But then look what else he says. He says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. I want you to notice something. That Jesus has so transformed Paul that he is now praying for the very community he once sought to destroy. But it doesn't just stop there. He's not just praying for this community we read that he wants to fellowship with them with intensity. He longs to be in community with the church that was gathering in Rome. And notice, he doesn't say, I long to be with you so that I could have spiritual authority over you. He says, I long to be with you so that we could mutually encourage each other. 
And so he wants to be in person with this community so that they could encourage each other in faith. He's not coming with this superiority. He's coming like, I'm a member of the church, and I need encouragement just as much as you. I long to be with you so that we could mutually encourage each other. And then the last thing he says, he says that this phrase it needs some unpacking. It says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In 2023, it's like, Paul, that's kind of harsh. Barbarians, what do you mean by that? He's, at that time, that was a designation for people who lived with a certain cultural norm. Um, it, it was an assignment that was given to people, a label, so to speak, for people that weren't Greeks, that weren't Jews, and they lived according to their own fashion. And some would consider, like, they didn't live with the civility, so to speak. Paul is saying that he's a debtor to preach the gospel to all these people who we need to make note of were all unlike him. Paul was a Jew who believed in Jesus. And yet we're reading that he has, feels a sense of obligation to be in community with, to preach to People who are least like him. Why I think that's really noteworthy is because when we think of community, we often have thoughts that say, I want to be a part of community. But what we really mean is, I want to be a part of a convenient community. I want to be a part of a community that's like me, that shares all the same values, that there's never any bristling, that we never have any differences that we have to work out or cultures that we have to learn and understand how to be in community with each other. I want to be in community, but it needs to be really convenient. It can't require sacrifice and inconvenience but notice that Paul is saying he not only longs to be with the church in Rome, it says that he's been trying as hard as he can to get there, to be in person with them. And despite being hindered, he's determined to be in person with the church in Rome. That's noteworthy because in our day and age, how many can be honest that sometimes if somebody cancels plans on you, you're like, thank God. It was like, I committed to it, but deep down inside, I was hoping, you know, like, oh, we got the day, oh, good. And then, then you get into the spiral of, oh, no, let's plan to be together, okay? Yeah, you, let's get this going again. And, and it never ha how many people you have in your life that you've been saying, we're going to get together for a while, and it doesn't happen? Despite that, I'm moved by this, honestly. I'm moved by the fact that regardless of him being hindered, he's like, I am going to make this happen. I am committed to community. And we have to understand, for Paul to be with the church in Rome, this was not a quick train ride. This was not a quick drive. This was an arduous journey. He was going to have to travel down some of the most dangerous roads of the Roman Empire at great expense, at great inconvenience, great lengths of time. 
And this is the community that he's committed to be a part of. One of the ways that you and I could tell that the gospel is transforming us, that we're living through Jesus, not apart from him, is that we find ourselves not only committed to community, but we find ourselves committed to inconvenient community. Community that's not easy. Community that takes sacrifice, that takes prayer, that takes adjustments. I have some friends that they honestly have been responsible for so many churches flourishing. So they're like the definition of commitment. And that's why this joke really made me laugh. Um, they reached out and they're like, hey, do you know this church? Um, I said, yeah, it's a great church. So it was like, oh, that's amazing. They're one block away from me. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then minutes later, they're like, actually, I researched. They're five blocks away. Never mind. I'm never going to go. And so I was just like, it made me laugh because I knew that's the furthest thing from them. But it also said, man, that's so us. It's, it's, if it's inconvenient, say, ah, maybe not. I, I'm a firm believer that God tends to, like, we tend to have the best gatherings as a church during Sundays that there's adverse weather. I firmly believe that. It, it has borne out my whole Christian life, where it's just like the, the days that you wake up and you, and you hear Pastor Pillow say, stay sleeping, you know? <laughs> Continue to be a member of Bedside Baptist, you know, like <laughs> Brother Sheet says, come on, hang out, fellowship. And you push yourself through to be in community. There's something about the way God honors that. Because we're saying yes to community, but not just any kind of community, inconvenient community. When during the midweek, we have an opportunity to gather with others, but it may mean some traveling, some parking, some this and that, and we still choose. That's a, that's one, that's a strong evidence that the gospel is transforming us, that we're living through Jesus, not apart from Jesus. And why is that a strong evidence? It's because one of the ways that you and I can tell that we're understanding the good news of Jesus is our recognition that we can't follow him apart from others. How do you get to that place where you realize, I can't follow Jesus apart from others? Because the gospel shows you how desperate your heart really is. It's like, for me to walk with Jesus is going to be a group project. <laughs> I can't do this on my own. It will be impossible for me to do on my own I'm going to need others. But another way that we can tell that it, we're understanding the good news of Jesus is that we realize it's not that we have to be a part of inconvenient community. It's that we get to be a part of inconvenient community because we recognize the inconvenience of the cross that was part of our redemption, our rescue, that if that was required for us to be redeemed and be renewed and made alive, then surely we can put up with the inconveniences that we often face in order to be in community. 
Some of us, this is a wrestling that we have to do at this time as we reflect on these passages. The wrestling that God may be inviting you into is to recognize that in some aspects of your life, in my life, we're trying to live apart from Jesus, above Jesus, circumventing. But what would it look like for us to live through Jesus? You can't carry these things on your own. You're trying. And you succeed every now and then. But ultimately, you're not designed to carry all of life on your shoulders. It's too much. You're designed to live through Jesus. What would it look like to actually let God reorient your life? For some of us, the wrestling comes with recognizing that in our relationships, in our priorities, in the way we live life, we live life with us as king, not us as servant. And so if we're not getting our way, if it's not going according to our preferences, we buck it, we resist it, we don't want anything to do with it, but what would it look like for you and I to let God soften our hearts, to change our hearts, where we say, I'm his servant. I don't live for my pleasure. I live for his delight. I seek your will, not mine. Jesus wants to transform us in that way. And for us, for some of us, maybe the wrestling is recognizing that you want community. But more honestly, we want convenient community. We want community that isn't difficult, that's super accessible, that isn't sacrificial, that doesn't require us to learn other cultures and learn how to get along with people that are unlike us. It doesn't require the sacrifice of distance and travel and inconvenience. We want it at our fingertips. And yet the challenge of Paul in this passage, he yearned to be a part of a community that would have meant incredible sacrifice, travel, risk of his life. And so what would it look like for you and I to just settle in our spirits that to be a part of community won't always be convenient? And if it's inconvenient, we might have to start paying attention. Because some of us have been resisting opportunities to be a part of community because, quite frankly, it just wasn't convenient. But on the other side of that inconvenience, there's an invitation from Jesus to live through him in community with others. And the gospel empowers us to do that. We get to be in community because Jesus empowers us through his love, through his sacrifice. As the worship team comes forward, I want to invite us, if we could stand at this time, As we stand, I want to invite us to assume a posture of prayer before God, to just bring our hearts to God. And so if it helps you, you can close your eyes, you can bow your head. Whatever helps you to get into this moment of prayer as we approach God in prayer, I want to invite you to do so. And as we prepare to respond in song and worship, for, for some of us, there's some wrestling we have to do. Are you trying to live apart from Jesus in your workplace, in your relationships, in your decision-making? 
are you living through Jesus? Through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, through his saving. Jesus, where we're still living like kings, calling our own shots, would you bring humility to our hearts and make us servants to live for your will? Jesus. May we say yes to community. May we long for it. May we value it the way Paul did. But may we value it and long for it, even when it's inconvenient. Spirit of God, meet us. Speak to us. If you feel comfortable, could I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God? It's a posture of surrender, of turning our hearts to him, making our bodies attentive to him. Jesus, meet us. As we worship and we respond to God in these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back, to my right, to your left. If you would like prayer for anything, the message stirred something, you just need prayer, the words that were shared earlier, we invite you to slip out of your seat during this time and go and receive prayer. They would love to pray with you. Let's seek God. Let's turn to him now.